Hi, friends. Welcome back to Scary Stories to Tell Your Sister. We're your sisters. I'm Megan, and I'm Dana. And we're here telling each other stories that we find curious, spooky, strange, and everything in between. So if you're into that kind of thing, too, stay with us for a bit. We'd love the company because being scared is always better when there's someone else to be scared with. doing today hi i'm good how are you uh you know i'm fine i think i'm scrambling with the idea that this year is almost over um like i know we started in october so we started towards the end of the year but this is episode eight that's coming out and i was doing the math and if i'm right this episode will come out the last weekend of november oh my god and i'm like my mom will be here soon visiting. Snow will be here soon. <gasps> then I'm traveling to work and I might be seeing you. And then it's 2023 and I can't. Yeah, so that's, that's so weird. Today. That's my scary story. 2023 is a blink away. <laughs> I know. I know. I know what you mean. When you say that, like 2023 is right around the corner. Sorry if there's noise in the background. I had to let my cat in and I had to plug in my charger. But um, my... What was I saying? Yeah. The little boy I take care of was asking me today, will I be in middle school in 2025? And I had to think for a second. And I'm like, yep, you sure will. And I've been taking care of him since. (laughs) I know I've been taking care of him since he was a baby. Yeah. Before he was one year old. So. That's no. scary to me. That's scary. another scary story for you guys. Yeah. And I feel like with the pandemic and stuff like that, time has lost its meaning that it had prior to it. Obviously, time is still oh, yeah. happening. Jazz, but like the way we mark things and all that stuff changed because those, absolutely, those, like two years were just not even years. No, it's like. Time is now before COVID and then after. During. Yeah, yeah, and that during, it's like, the during was a weird thing. It's like, oh, that happened during. Like, it it took me into, like... During was a whole new of- thing. That during yeah. was, like, its own, I don't it's know. Inca- I don't know if you've ever watched The Good Place. I think I've seen the first episode, so I wouldn't... Okay. So it, I love it. It's one of our, it's one of like Abby and I's like favorite shows, top tier. Love it. There is a saying in it that like time isn't obviously also like Doctor Who. Time's not like a constant thing, but there's a weird thing. It's called Jeremy Bear Me, which I, it's gonna make no sense to you. But if anyone listens to the Good Place, listens. If anyone listening watches the Good Place, will get it that there is a little dot. That's a certain amount of time. And I feel that COVID and the pandemic was that dot. And there's a character that that says that dot right there that broke me. Like mentally. Like, that's <laughs> the and I go tell it is like that time period. It, it took me so long to be aware of 2022. What was that demon sound? Did you hear that? It was like ding, ding, ding. No, no, no. When I said it's okay, I heard like... Rrr. No, didn't hear. Was it? Was it? Was it that? No, it was like like demon sound. Yeah. I was like, I, I cleaned some sauce off my hand. No. Anyway, so, sorry. But yeah, so that's it. That is the end of our story. <laughs> oh my god. What a wackadoo opening. That's kind of where my brain is at. I This week was hectic for me and I feel like I say that every week and it's not the case normally some weeks are fine but this week I went from last weekend doing an overnight all weekend with one of my old nanny kids to my current nanny kids being sick with RSV and pneumonia which is super serious thankfully they're all fine 
and on the mend, but this whole week was cabin fever for all, all of us, wiping down everything, not really going to any activities, Ugh. which it was long hours working. My schedule is normally pretty like, it's, like doable. I like it. I love it. I'm good. But this week I had like a couple like 11 hour, 12 hour days. So I am ready to finally sit still without a snotty sweet child on me <laughs> to fear <laughs> and not be afraid of getting sick. But let me be afraid of what you're going to tell me, Megan. I'm very ready for this moment in my life. Okay. Well, this week I have for you something I find fun and interesting. This week I researched the topic of past lives, which we've talked about before. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I am too. Even though I did the, I just, it's an exciting topic for me. Yeah. And like we've done past life regressions before. And yeah. I always find them so interesting. Um, but we'll get into that. Past lives is the belief that we've experienced life before the one we currently are living and the potential to do so again after we finished our current life whether it be in spirit, human, or even animal form. And this belief is ancient, but when exactly it began is hard to pinpoint exactly. When I first researched past lives many years ago, there was a name that would come up over and over again. And that name was Dr. Brian Weiss. He's a psychiatrist, but he's mostly known for his past life regressions. He's written a bunch of books on the topic as well. But he wasn't always a believer in past lives. He considered himself agnostic. And it wasn't until about 1980 when he was working with a patient by the name of Catherine that his curiosity on the matter grew. Now, I don't know if Catherine is her real name because I've heard multiple names used for her. So I think that it's... Okay. Yeah. Type thing. Exactly. So... Catherine had severe phobias that she was trying to work through with Dr. Weiss and they were using hypnotherapy. And during one of those sessions, he asked her to go back to the time when her systems, her systems, her symptoms first appeared. And her she did. Her systems first appeared <laughs> herself. <laughs> and she went back and when she did, Brian was very confused by what she was describing. So he asked her what year it was. And he was stunned to find out that she was describing the year 1863 BC. Whoa, I was like, not expecting that far back. <laughs> yeah, she said her name was Aranda and she was 18 years old. He wasn't sure what he thought of this, but next week when Catherine came back, there was a significant improvement in her condition. And that was something that couldn't be denied. By the fourth visit, though, was when he really began to believe. Dr. Weiss recalls Catherine going through her session as usual and at this point in her session, she was in between lifetimes. So basically, the place after death, but okay. before you reincarnate. Interesting. Okay. And he remembers the room suddenly beginning to feel a lot colder. And then Catherine says to him, there are two people here to see you. <gasps> Your father and your son. No. This was startling to him because she Me knew. Too, sir. <laughs> Catherine knew nothing about him. And this was during a time that, like, we didn't have the internet where you could just kind of, like, Google Dr. Weiss and see, you know, yeah. about him, his history, his family, whatever. And everything in his office, there, there was nothing in his office that not even like any personal anything. facts exactly on the walls so this was pretty freaky to brian and he was like i am not sure what to think right now but i know that what she's saying 
is intriguing and I'm freezing because the room is cold. I don't know what's going on. She said to Brian, she knew he'd named his daughter after his father, which was true. She told him his father had died from an issue with his heart. Also true. And then she said she could see his son. His son was very small. And something about his heart was important as well. She said his heart was backwards and she went into detail about his medical condition. Info she could not have known. This was 1981 and his son had passed 10 years earlier. In fact, nobody knew about the details except for his wife and himself. Not even his friends or family knew. His son had died 23 days after he was born. And this is the moment he began to believe in past lives. Because if everything she'd said was completely accurate, then he'd have to put stock into what she was saying about her own lives as well. Yeah. Exactly. I'm baffled. I'm baffled at the whole, the whole thing already. <laughs> I know. So that was the story of Brian Weiss and how he he's like basically like the father of bringing past life regressions to popularity yeah yeah. popularity nowadays and because obviously it's been around for ages but is he oh yeah that we is he the one the name sounds familiar is he the one from the youtube thing yes he's the one whose past life regression you can find one of his past life regression therapies on youtube and i've done it dana's done it abby has done it i want to get ray to do it but you know that (laughs) might take some convincing but (laughs) it's so interesting it's so it's very interesting i yeah it's it is interesting we can talk about it later at the end but okay it's it's an interesting thing in general. Yeah, you're right. It is. But but yeah, so I have another story for you as well. This story takes place in Madison, Wisconsin. This is the story of Jamie. Susan and John married and had a son named Jamie. This would be Susan's second child as she was previously married years before and had a daughter named Teal, who was now a, who is now a forensic psychologist. The age gap between the two children is significant, being about 17 years. So when all of this took place, Teal was in college. By all accounts, Jamie was a great child. He was very happy, an adorable little blonde kid who would, on occasion, speak with a bit of a British accent. The family lived in a home with a swimming pool, and everyone in the family loved being in the water. The only one with a bit of trepidation, though, was little Jamie. He would only stay on the steps of the pool. His fear was so strong that even with the help of his mom, he would panic and beg to be put back in the shallow area. Sweet angel. I know. When Jamie was around four years old, Teal was spending time with him as he was learning how to ride a bike. Jamie began to tell her about how his memory or about his memory of watching their mom ride her blue bike down the street. And he was adamant that he saw this when he was looking down at her through the window. This wouldn't be that big of a deal because Susan did in fact have a blue bike. Well, had a blue bike. The bike he recalled was a tricycle she used as a child around the age of five. Uh. not only had Susan never mentioned the bike to Jamie, but she didn't have any pictures of it that, you know, that he could have come across and she never spoke about it. Nothing. So how he came up with this, they had no idea. And when his sister Teal asked how he watched her, he said very matter of factly, well, You know there are windows in heaven, Mama. I'm lying to you. It wasn't Teal. It was his mom. When his mom asked him how he knew about this, then he said, there are windows in heaven, Mama. So that was a little strange. 
I'm sure. Can you imagine like your child? No, no. I'll be like, okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. I'm a little stressed. Cool. (laughs) But now if you recall earlier, I mentioned that he had a British accent on occasion. Yeah. Well, in the documentary I watched, his sister remembered thinking at the time that the accent was associated with a speech impediment that he had as a child. But something she wondered about was how he would use port and starboard in place of left and right. (gasps) He would not say right and left, even when he was directed otherwise by his sister. Then around five years old, Jamie began to have really bad nightmares. He would get out of bed and frantically run as if trying to to find an escape route. His parents were scared for him because of how afraid he was. And it would start by him just kind of like tossing and turning in bed and then jumping out quickly and running so intensely he would be drenched in sweat. Whoa. The family noticed during these night terrors, Jamie would say things like, we're going under, and he would speak about <laughs> drowning. I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at when I slept walk that one time to you, and I said, Megan, you only have seven maps. You have to come under. Yes. But yeah. different, different story, different thing. I yeah. Think. That was but... scary. I locked my door after that. <laughs> and I think I've locked my door ever since. You're welcome. I gave you... I, I, I instilled the fear in you for once. <laughs> but Jamie's doctor assured her, tr- assured the whole family pretty much that there was nothing to worry about because these night terrors were actually very common. Mm-hmm. And he gave them tips on how to handle these episodes. But one night, Susan and John went out for a date while Jamie was being taken care of by a babysitter. When they got home, they weren't thrilled because they found out he had watched the last portion of the movie, The Titanic. He was only four, I think, and was already terrified of water and having night terrors of drowning. So I'm sure this was not something that soothed them. And sure enough, watching this did have an impact on him. In the first week alone, after watching the movie... Jamie drew approximately 50 pictures of the Titanic. Holy moly. Can you imagine? No. That would that would freak me out, I think, more than him saying something. Hey, do you wanna do you wanna draw um anything else? Yeah, literally anything else. I don't Go care. On. Just anything else. Susan thought that was a phase, but the drawings never stopped. He would constantly draw it at school, at home, and literally everywhere. He was obsessed. And his mother said that some of the drawings were so specific, almost adult-like drawings. His mom one day noticed in his pictures there were four smokestacks on the ship. But smoke was coming out of only three of them. So she asked why... And he replied, that's a dummy stick, mama. It's not real. It's just for show. She didn't know until years later that that was actually true. And she also realized this wasn't just from seeing the end of the movie, The Titanic, after noticing all of the detail in the drawings. It was like he knew the ship, like he'd been on it and knew the ins and outs of it, the floors and how many windows were on it. And... Going back to the movie, his mom said what really upset him the most was the fact that those people that were in the boiler room had died first. He took it personally, acting as if they're being trapped in the boiler room and their eventual death was all his fault. He even began to talk about how things shouldn't have happened that way. Jamie said, Corners had been cut. I mean, can you imagine a kid saying corners had been cut? Like, that sounds so okay. different. For me, okay, he said you said it was four. This is between like four and five. So, okay. yeah, I think of the four and five year olds I know, and even like 
They're not watching Titanic, but I mean, that's beyond whatever. I watched it in theaters when I was seven, so that's another story. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, we saw it when it came out, remember? Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> With our husband, right? Didn't she, like, yes! Okay. So, but anyway, but the detailed description, you're not going to get that from the movie. The movie, is, that's not about the boat and the building, you know? So, like, the right. dummy stick thing, that would have been like, huh, how are you learning about this aspect of it? Right, right. Yeah, so... And then, like, the the adult things that he would say, like, corners had been cut. And <laughs> and then how he would say that those men dying in the boiler room was all his fault. And that he, like, took it personally. I don't know. That's just different. That's a lot. That's heavy for uh, anyone. Right. But this really affected him so much. And he would cry and continually say, it shouldn't have happened. At five years old, so young, he told his mom they used the wrong material on the ship. Specifically, how they used iron when they really should have used steel. He noted that when the impact of the iceberg took place, the emergency doors closed and locked the men in the boiler room. He'd cry and cry and cry and say, quote, they died first, mama. It shouldn't have happened that way. That was a mistake. Eventually, what really sealed the deal for his sister was when he got a computer game about the Titanic. In the game, you get clues and you have to use them to prevent the sinking of the ship. You play as though you're you're actually on the ship. And one of the first steps is to go to like a very specific room. And his sister said he knew exactly how to get to that location. Even when she would try to encourage him to take another direction, he refused. And he knew his way around this ship. They now believe that this was probably a past life memory. And to help him overcome this obsession, his parents searched for the identity of who was, who he was in this past life. And the person that they thought could be him was a man named Thomas Andrews. He was the chief architect of the Titanic. He actually opted out of getting on a lifeboat, but instead decided to go down with the ship. When he was working on designing the ship, he had many disagreements with the financial company of the ship, J.P. Morgan, because he said they didn't have enough lifeboats and that they were focusing more on a speedy finish rather than taking their time to do things properly. Eventually, there was a Titanic exhibit that went across the country, and Teal thought this would be a great opportunity for Jamie to kind of get closure and maybe, like, quell this obsession. So they decided to go, and Jamie was very unlike the other kids where he would take his time on every item, studying every little bit. And at one point, Teal noticed him actually shaking and realized that this was probably a bit more intense of an experience than she'd expected. And then a little bit after this trip, Susan is home now one evening watching TV. And Jamie's asleep. And as she's watching this show, she begins to hear banging in her home over and over and over again and bang after bang she realized the sound was coming from inside and it was actually coming from Jamie's room so she ran to his room so quickly opening the door to find Jamie on his bed he's on all fours looking at the ground and his body was shaking And then, in the voice of a man, he screams at the top of his lungs, She's going down. This was the worst night terror he had ever experienced, and his mother thinks that the exhibit awakened the very specific memory of the moment the ship sank. After that, his obsession greatly diminished. He talked about the Titanic less and less until eventually he stopped completely. His mother thinks that 
once he experienced the ship sinking in the last dream, it ended everything. At the time the documentary was filmed, Jamie was 19 and he was in college studying 3D modeling and concept art. He said the memories he had of the Titanic were just as familiar as his home was to him. He thinks that he was Thomas Andrews and he thinks he really did die on the Titanic, but he no longer feels to blame. And now he's at peace with his past. Whoa. That's, yep. That was crazy to me. I mean, you hear so many stories of kids going through similar things. And I know we've talked about it before, I think, how we almost feel that kids have such a strong recollection because this new life is so fresh and still connected to the past life that there's still that connection. Because a lot of the times you hear kids talk about it, and it fades with time as this, like, new life takes root. And the yeah. Old life away. Yeah. Yeah, and I found it so interesting that Catherine, um, not only did she experience her past life and go through it with Dr. Brian Weiss, but she also spoke of the life in between lives. Yes. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Good. Go ahead. Um, Well, the life in between lives to me is so interesting. It's like you hear a lot of times of people saying, you know, they go to a psychic or somebody and they speak with whomever, you know, they speak with their mother. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wonder how, if we do reincarnate, then do some people take their time over there to reincarnate? You know, do they decide, you know what, I'm going to stick around here for a while or do we, I mean, I believe we're, like, all one, per se. And do, like, does a part of us stay there and a part of us go back to Earth? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how much, like, do, or is it, do you just carry the memories of the past life? Right. Like, the memories carry on, but the person who you were is in the afterlife. And That's like, another thing, too, because I've heard, because, like, the Titanic sunk in 1912, and this boy was born not, like, in 1912 or 1913. No. So, thing. so interesting to go along with that thought that you had of how long does a life or memory or soul, whatever you want to call it, how long does that linger in that afterlife? Right. And why does it come forth then? Is it, has it lived other lives in between then? And then this memory was super strong with, with him, you know? Right, right. Because even, because when Catherine was there, she was like, I see your son as well. And that's, that almost feels like a different um, cyclical, like cyclical thing, you know? Right. Seeing him because she wasn't his son. So that life wasn't entwined with hers. Right. But that is an interesting aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, it could very well be, I, I like, like I said, I think we're all one. And I don't when know you say that to... we're all similar lives. Right. I wonder if we are like, if, it's almost I, every time I think of it, I think of like a loaf of bread and like the different slices, you know? Okay. And like, yeah. so like, say you're, you're your whole, you are your whole own loaf. <laughs> and so a slice a of you comes back, but the, okay. but the yeah. other slices are there in heaven or not heaven, <laughs> but wherever in between. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay. That makes more sense that all of the lives are one thing, but parts of them. Okay. When you said that, I thought you meant like everyone in the world was one loaf. This sounds so weird. <laughs> I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, I hope I'm not the same as other people. 
No, um, <laughs> but I do think I do think we are all connected. I do. Yeah, I mean, there's some aspects in that, and I, I can kind of, <laughs> I can kind of jive with that and minutely. Not but you're my, your own loaf. You're your own. Loaf. I'm my own loaf, and you listeners, you're your own loaf too. Yeah, own loaf, gluten free. Gluten free. That um, <laughs> me, gluten free. Gluten free loaf. Yeah, I would be probably gluten free, but I would still torture myself. <laughs> and have gluten. Um, I remember. I I remember another past life thing, but this one happened like soon after. Almost. It. I. I don't know the full effect of it. I want. Maybe we'll like look it up and bring it up in the next. Not another episode. But it was a girl in India. Did you hear about this one at all when you were researching? Is it the girl or the guy? The boy, I mean. Girl. I, and then she said that she's like, oh, no, I was, like, a grown person. Or maybe, maybe it was a guy. I don't know. No, there was but, a boy that remembered who killed him, that one. I thought it was a girl. I think it was a boy, but um, it doesn't matter. Girl or boy, whatever. It was a, it was a human being. A human who, being in India who was like, I was from this village. Yes. I was in this house. It was yellow. I had... And all that stuff. His parents, their parents were like, how do you, what kind of weird thing to make up is this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they ended up visiting the village and they found the house, like how it was described. And there's like, there's no making that up. Yeah, that one was interesting. The one of the boy in India. I couldn't find a lot. I actually looked that up and I couldn't find a lot of information. I just found like a really short article on it, but it wasn't enough. But if it's the same kid that I'm thinking of, because I looked up a few kids, he even had like a birthmark or something on his head where I don't know what they used to kill him, but, but that's where that was the place of impact. That is so weird. Cause I've heard like the old wives tale that birthmarks and things such as that are scars from past lives. Have you heard that before? Uh-huh. Yep. And I wonder, because I always think about that with me and Abuela, because we share the same birthmark on the back of one of our thighs. And it looked exactly the same. It was in the same oh, spot. Yeah. And maybe I was just part of her loaf. You were part of it. <laughs> Sorry. Right? Maybe it was part of her loaf. You said it so nonchalantly. That's true. Maybe. You don't maybe. know. I met this girl one time when I was working. I had to travel for work. And we were in New York and it was, I don't know if it was a family member. I don't think it was a family member of hers. It was like a close friend, but like family. Anyways, I met this girl for the first time ever. Have never seen a picture of her. Don't know her. She lives up North. I live here. We met each other and we knew each other. I was like, you look so familiar. And she's like, yeah, I feel like I know you too. I've never, I mean, like, that was the strangest experience. And I wonder, maybe we shared a past life together, you know? Who knows? But I feel like I knew her. And she knew me. And that's that. Maybe maybe, maybe you're Lowe's from the same bakery at some point. That's true. <laughs> that is true. That's probably what it was. We probably had the same baker. Make us. <laughs> great. I love it so much. Megan, that was so much fun. I I remember hearing, like, I always know snippets of, like, stories. And they're always children, like we said. Like a boy who was afraid of a bridge because he said, my, la- I, my last time I died that way. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. It's so but, Like, sh- kids who, like, I always feel like it's a lot of tra- traumatic Traumatic things make the kids speak about it more openly, I feel. Oh, my God, Dana. Why did I not think about this? Do you remember the time that the woman told me, this one lady told me that in a past life, I was, um, oh, my God. My brain just went blank. Moses' mother? Yes. Or like the one that took care of him. And the funny thing was, the crazy thing was, is 
I called mom after that and I told her about it. And she's like, oh my goodness, Megan, that was your favorite story growing up. And I remember always going through the, my book of Bible stories that we had, like that golden (laughs) book. Yeah. And making mom read that one to me like every night. Read me this one. Read me this one. Meanwhile, my favorite one was Jezebel. (laughs) So, you know, you win some, lose some. (laughs) Win some, lose. I'm a hussy. I'm like, you know what? Angry. She's angry. Yeah, she's pissed. True crime right there. It's like, you know, it is true crime. (laughs) Bad true crime here from earlier. Trauma, trauma there. Right. Uh, Oh, my God. Meanwhile, well, I was – you had a lady told tell you that you were Moses' caregiver. I had an old man read my palm on the beach when I was a child. A stranger. So, yeah. Stranger. We have a lot of interesting things. Megan, I loved that so much. Okay. Well, I want to hear what you have to tell me, Dana. Okay. So, I was looking to a lot of things, much like last week – I was having a hard time, much like last week, picking out one thing. Not to say there wasn't a bunch of good ideas, because there was, but each one I looked at, it was looking as at me as to say, yes, you can research me, but not now. Mm-hmm. And even I'd even done a good chunk of research on one topic, but it didn't just get like my excitement going. I was trying to do another spin on it, and then I stumbled upon this blast from the past that had been hidden away in my memory until now. And it's burst free now, along with all of my questions and fears. So Megan, let me wake up your memory with this one. Okay. We're back in my neck of the woods. We're in New England. But further north, it's in Maine. Now, this story begins in August of 1971. Four men, there's two twin brothers, Jack and Jim Weiner, and their friends Chuck Rake and Charlie Foltz. They decided to make one last hurrah and go on a camping excursion in... What? I got excited. Oh, (laughs) a camping excursion in Allagash, in the Allagash Wilderness in Maine. Now, this wasn't your normal or, I mean, like, our normal camping trip with a large group that finds one camping site and stays there for a long weekend. Mm-hmm. No. They were going on a two-week trip, <gasps> which, I mean, sounds like a dream, kind of, but also, after researching this, sounds more like a nightmare. <laughs> uh, and a couple other books I've read recently this year about woods and things like that. And... Allagash, it's like a wooded area in North Maine. And I had done some research at first, but I'm not sure exactly if I did the research on the town of Allagash or the wilderness the wilderness itself. It's like a large, I think like almost like a forest. So I'll skip over this part where it talked with the census of how the population of Allagash, Maine only has a population of 237 people. What? Um, but that's that's the town. But I'm assuming this is the wilderness part of it. Uh, okay. A, a river that's 65 miles long. And that's a key factor in this story. The river and moving along to the river kind of like... Do you remember our father telling us a story of how he, he did a trip similar to this? Like canoeing and camping. Canoeing and camping. He went to the Badlands, Sydney. He did that one time, but he also did another one. I think in like Jersey, again, his area where they canoed and camped for days. So the four men started their trip by hiking up Mount Katahdin, which would take about eight to 12 hours to travel as it's the largest mountain in Maine. Now, my notes didn't say anything about the exact timeline of events, like if they camped there or not. But then after the mountain climbing, they chartered a plane and flew to Shin Pond, which is about 140 miles away. And the next part of their trip was to canoe and camp. And this is where it all begins. They set up camp at Mudbrook Campsite, where at the time there were other campers nearby too. That was when, that was when they noticed a beaming light in the east, much brighter than the stars that were around it. 
And Jim Wiener, one of the twins, he took his binoculars out to get a better look at what it was and determined that they were, they were right. It wasn't a star, but it was something else. It was a few miles away from where they were, and it was hovering about 200 feet above the treetops. And while they were still looking at it, it flipped away. While they thought it was strange, they didn't really harp on it until later. Two days after that initial sighting, the men had moved further down the waters to Eagle Lake. And this was much more remote. So they were kind of the only people in the area. And they were at the Smith Brook campsite. And that night, they decided to build a huge bonfire because they wanted to go night fishing. Not for me. Not for what me either, Jane. Not for me. And the fire will be a beacon to, like, we can find our way back regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, sorry, I lost my spot. So, Charlie Fox. Fo- Fo- Charlie. Charlie. So, there was some sort of unsolved mysteries about this as well. Mm-hmm. He was quoted in the Unsolved Mysteries episode as saying, he was certain the fire would have lasted at least four hours. So they felt assured that they had boarded the canoe. They went out to fish. When their, dis- when their descent away... Sorry, what the heck? Oh, there's a side note here in my notes that I typed this. I was doing my overnight. And I was so scared doing this. <laughs> I had to stop at one point and go to bed because I was typing in pitch black in not my house and it was freaking me the fuck out um <laughs> so sorry i was reading my little side notes here it's like it's all caps i'm afraid <laughs> so as they're drifting from the shore canoeing out to the, the lake chuck gets an eerie feeling of being watched anyway chuck and me when writing this we're feeling very scared he turns around and over his right shoulder he sees a large pulsing orb of colored light just hanging out 200 to 300 feet above the cove's southeast rim and he describes it as almost a miniature sun how bright it is how the light how like the light emanating from it casts the trees in like sunlight and he said it was about 80 feet in dia- diameter. So it's a very big light. And the way it's moving, they knew it wasn't a balloon or any gas like that. Mm-hmm. So they assumed it's something else. But what is it? So Charlie, he takes his flashlight and he decides to signal up to this craft the dot 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 dash 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 dot 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 or dash dot is that so okay and just like that the light ball of light is swoops down closer and it starts to send out a beam that's sweeping across the lake in a searching position so the two of the guys are paddling frantically away and others are scooping the water with their hands trying along the process i mean no no shade same thing i and know I'm, i know i would be doing the same I'd thing like, i would really jump out like who cares crocodiles what well, that's, i mean there's probably no crocodiles in maine snakes or whatever it's cold it's it's august but it's cold. nighttime i'd swim in that water but i need to pause and say you sent out an sos which is a call for help and then when it comes to help you you get scared <laughs> i mean, never mind hey, same, but I take it back. Like any of the other, like go away. No, thank you. <laughs> Wrong number. <laughs> um, so they're paddling frantically away, terrified, thinking there's no way they're going to outrun this thing. And then the canoe is back on shore. They're exhausted and stumbling away from the canoe, staring up at the object leaves as it shoots up towards the mountain. As if self as if it's a self-guided shooting star, leaving them to stand on the shore next to a, the embers of a fire that should have still been blazing. Uh. That's right, kids. We have lost time, beams of light. We've got ourselves an alien abduction. 
Yes. Now, Megan, mm-hmm. if this happens to us, mm-hmm. what would your next move be? Now, keep in mind, it's the 70s. So there's no cell phone. There's no calling anyone. What okay. would you do? Okay, so the embers are not ablaze, and we are on the shore, and we're like, what the heck just happened? You come, you're, you are tired, but you're, the light just, you're, you're tired, you stuck out of the canoe. Mm-hmm. What the heck just happened? The fire's down. What, what do you do? I ask everybody else, what, what's happening? Oh, and, okay. yeah. Okay, so, they all agreed that they were only on the lake for 20 minutes. And yet the fire was embers. The bonfire that should have been raging was simply coals. While even though me and you would have been unable to close our eyes without being in the middle of everyone and talking it out, they said they were just exhausted in a state of shock and went back to the tents and passed out, not even talking about the light or missing time until the next morning. No, we would be having a very long conversation. Uh, I would be like, well, I can't sleep anymore. I might feel tired, but my eyes are remaining open until they dry from my sockets. Yeah, <laughs> I would ha- I would not be able to go to sleep right away no. because I would be so curious. I'd be like, why did the fire go out? Did somebody like take out some of the wood? Did somebody steal some of our fire? What's happening? Uh, so, and, and, like, like if, anything. If I, thought, if I thought I escaped the light and I was tired and came back, I'd be like, now he said something to the fire. Like, well, we're not alone in these woods anyway. We can't. I'm going to be the middle of all the men. Be like, I'm just in here. I'm going to be right you. Um, no. So they got their items together and, like, moved on. They all kind of talked about seeing the light. And they all agreed that it was a UFO. But they didn't really, like, put together everything just yet. Yeah. They spent the next 10 days in the Allagash wilderness, but never saw the light again. And they would go on to tell other people about the light with no one truly believing them. And they'd be like, oh, it was so bizarre. But the one thing that remained truly unexplainable was that chunk of time missing. Yeah. And it would be unexplained until nearly 12 years later. And that was when Jack, one of the twins, began having terrible nightmares. And these nightmares would be just him standing naked in a brightly lit room with the three other men sitting naked on a bench near him. And they'd be staring off into nothing. And Jack would be so mad because they weren't helping him. And he had this huge sense of dread in this moment. And he's like, why aren't you guys? And he's thinking to himself in the dream, why aren't you guys doing anything to help me? And he sees a shadowy figure start to emerge from a bright light in front of him. And he would wake up in, like, this terror-drenched and sweat, panicking and hyperventilating. And it was a reoccurring dream. And it was always the same scenario, the same three men he went camping with, and this, set of dre- this sense of dread and terror. And it wasn't until... He found out Jim, his twin brother, was having identical dreams to him. Oh, my God. And there was always that feeling of helplessness that when the creature appeared, it was that overwhelming sense of, like, a violation of everything. Right. So once they put that together, they were both having these, like, terrifying dreams that were such – like, that went beyond – like, we all have nightmares – we all have – some people have night terrors. But to have something be a reoccurrence in such a way that not many details change and to share the same thing as someone else. Yeah. They wondered if it had to ha- if it had to do with the bright light they saw on the camping trip all those years ago. hmm And that's when Jim contacted Raymond Fowler, who is a UFO researcher – to see if he could be of help. And Fowler suggested the four men undergo hypnosis to see if there was anything that they had suppressed 
from that night that could be brought to the forefront of their memories by this hypnosis. Which is funny because both of our things have hypnosis in it. Right? Uh, So one by one, they did. And the sessions turned up much more than they anticipated. So each of the sessions, the four men, they, they, under hypnosis, discussed almost the exact same things. Not only did they talk about what they saw, but once the hypnosis brought that memory forward, they also drew images of what their experience were like. Ooh. And they are, because they're all trained in art, they studied art, so all of them are really well done. Much Ooh. better than what I would have been able to do. Um, so all four said they were taken on the craft and they were forced to strip naked. And the aliens began to examine them in a nearly medical way. They were collecting samples from their skin, blood, urine, and sperm. Oh, dear. I know. I was like, Oof. And in transcripts of their hypnotic recollections, the men described being inside a tube with swirling and sparkling particles. And that those things also like drew them up to a frightening place of hallways and chambers, gleaming machines and examining tables and they were in a hypnotic state during the time as well and they were being controlled or told what to do telepathically okay because like when you said i mean you wonder you said that they were like in in a hypnotic state because i was thinking to myself you know why didn't they why aren't you like trying to run or why yeah. aren't you saying something like hey you know I'll let you take some blood, but take me on a tour first or something. You, you know, like I <laughs> only you. But yeah, yeah. I wonder if like once I wonder if the light is almost like uh nulling like a kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I would be fighting it the entire time. Dana, Dana, if you if we had a sleepover uh... and we were in bed and you woke up and at the foot of the bed was an alien being and they were like would you like to come with us in this spaceship would you say yes would you wake me up would you say no go away like what would you do um i would probably i'm trying to picture myself i wake up and there's something i think before he even spoke to me You'd be up. <laughs> if I woke up and there was something karate chopping you awake. Whether what? I I'd be karate chopping you <laughs> awake. Like I'm picture I mean, I'm I'm sitting in bed right now recording this. I would I'm picturing I'm like so I'm like laying down now. I'm not laying down, I'm trying to picture myself laying down. And I wake up and I see something. Immediate like yeah, arms out to the side, you're up. Yeah, I think I think people would have if they approach us if they approached us differently. (laughs) Maybe people would have like a different reaction. You know what I mean? Like the thing. Here's the thing. No, but also yes. Also, (laughs) I would want to say no immediately, and then you would say yes, and I'd be like, God damn it! Now I have to go to make sure she doesn't get herself killed. And I'd be like, you have to take me with you now. I'm so mad and I'm so afraid. I'd be weeping at <laughs> time. And I'd look at you and be like, you owe me. You owe me. You owe me. What do you what do you owe someone for getting abducted with them? I don't know. Um especially with this, okay? There's a quote that really drove it home for me with this thing. And the quote says this is from a, a person who interviewed some of them about some of the things. And he says their, pen, their pencil sketches in the book, because they wrote a book about it later, reveal creatures resembling the aliens of science fiction movies. The willowy arms, the elliptical glassy eyes set wide on insect heads, and beaky mouths. Beaky? Beaky? I said, what kind of aliens are that? The turkey waddle necks. The nimble four-fingered hands lacking opposable thumbs. 
And I said, Megan, you want to give me a demon turkey at the foot of my bed? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, thank you. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, and if you listen to the Unsolved Mysteries episode, or watch it, sorry. Uh, if you watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode about this, you can they actually sample the hypnosis sessions. You can hear it. And you can hear the terror in their voice as they're re- recalling what's happening to them. Because... I don't know about hypnosis, like, in an in in-depth way, mm-hmm. but I almost feel like you're going back to that moment. So as you're recounting what's happening, you're living it again. You're not going to say, and then they held me down. You're saying, they're holding me down. Oh, God. So it's, it's the real thing, you know? So here are some quotes from the sessions. They're saying things in my head. They're saying, don't be afraid. Do what we say. Just do what we say. Oh, don't be afraid. That's sad. You and I have very different reactions when they say that. Another one says, that was Jack who said that. Charlie says, it's cold like the doctor's office is cold. They put a panel over your chest and it scrapes your arms, chest, hands, and thighs. We shouldn't be here. I just keep thinking I want to be back in the canoe. They're like bugs. They've got bug eyes. That's what they said? That's what one of them said. <laughs> he said he recalled a thin, spidery creature in bodysuits that probed his brother's nude body no. with instruments. <clears throat> it says he watched them touch his eye. Uh-uh. His genitals and the hair on no. his legs and his toes. No. Everything about that. See, that's not solid... that's not nice. No. No, thank you. No means no. Consent is key. Oh and my then gosh. Chuck says about he's seeing, I think he's seeing Charlie at one point. His head is tipped all the way back in pain. We can't help him. All we can do is watch him. Oh God. Oh, see, I don't like that. I don't like that because that like And if you're saying yes to it, I'm saying mother a pearl <laughs> i have to go to this i'm not saying yes to that i'm saying yes to taking a tour on a flying ship i'll give you my spit in return show me that's it that's it. it no butt stuff just no give me a tour <laughs> show me your ship i'll give you some spit yeah that's that's what it is that's it that's it oh <laughs> uh, god uh so and it wasn't until after the sessions, they realized they had recalled nearly identical experiences, even though they hadn't talked about it at all in the years it happened, because they didn't really remember it. So they wasn't like, oh, remember this that happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And each of them took polygraphs as well. And they all passed those. Wow. And obviously, you know, there is... Yeah, polygraphs are... Polygraphs are... Eh are way to cheat them, but I don't really think you're going to do that about aliens regardless. Um, And the four of them went public with their experiences, and they also had a book that came out in 1993 that talked about their recollections and had the drawings in them. It's called The Allagash Abductions of Undeniable Evidence of Alien Intervention. And it was actually written by Raymond Fowler, mm. the guy who. Yeah, that name sounds familiar. I think, I think I might have mentioned him in my other alien thing. Look at the whole thing about Raymond Fowler, apparently. And they've done conventions since then about talking about that and shows like Unsolved Mysteries as well. And a strange fact that I also don't like. Which when you which will also show how my reaction to your question is. Except for Charlie, each of the men also said that they had had other alien encounters in their lives, either before or after the abduction. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Chuck when he was Chuck said when he was younger, there was a terrifying alien presence in his room. <gasps> it says when he was younger as well. That there was something that appeared in his room all the time that him and Jack called Harry the Ghost. 
Oh my god. Jack said that his wife and him have seen UFO when driving home from Vermont and that he had seen a UFO twice at the bottom of his driveway. Wow. I'd be like, why are you so obsessed with me? Because why? I wonder if, and I remember seeing something, I can't find if it was on a forum or something, talking about how the aliens could have been interested in the fact that Jim and Jack were twins in that aspect Yeah, yeah. But how bizarre is that? That is so strange. And they all stand by it to this day. Well, the three of them do, because Chuck, he remains unsure if any of it actually happened. Oh, how come? He's saying that he was influenced pre-hypnosis mm-hmm. and that the night of the event, they were actually drinking and doing some drugs at night. Okay. But I'm saying, but the three of them say that he's unreliable because he is just mad because he is quick-tempered and they had a falling out and he's been banned from conventions and stuff like that with, with his bad behavior. So mm-hmm. they're saying he's just trying to be, mm-hmm. a, you know, a sour, a sour puss. Right. Um, but, regard- and then someone was saying, I don't know if, once again where I saw this, but someone was saying that even if they were doing drugs, maybe that made the experience... Maybe, maybe some things were a little different, but the fact they remembered it in such a yeah. way. Regardless if you're doing drugs or not, having that shared, terrifying experience right? something else. That's it. Like, if you're doing drugs altogether, fine. But each of you will have a very individualized experience, you know, yeah. where, like, it's not... It's not a be-all, end-all. It's not a one-size-fits-all when someone does Experience. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you Megan? Fact, fiction, or somewhere in between? Oh, fact. You know me. (laughs) You know me. I do. I I remember this one. I thought it was one. I need to find and do research on it where someone... Something was left in them. Have you seen those things? Like someone oh, had- yes. And, and it's like not in this world. Yep. And I'm like, and I, so I was looking at that. And then I, and I, I came upon this one. And I remember this one from Unsolved Mysteries. I remember the, I remember it vividly. Them on the shore of the lake. Yeah. So, Me too, was, Dana. Yeah. So if you look it up, if you see the pictures, I'm going to see if I can find them so we can post them on our socials. Um, but I love that it. is the Allagash abduction. I love it. I mean, I don't love what they went through. Not at all. Not at no, all. Not at all. But I just really wish it were different. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Also, I just saw a thing that Abby texted me. <laughs> like, uh, she can hear me like 40 minutes ago. She goes, it was a boy who remembered who killed him. Wait, what? It was what? Remember the past lives thing? Oh, <laughs> it was a boy. Okay. She said, so she, I said it was a boy. Yeah. She's in the room. She can probably hear me yelling. Right. Oh, like my goodness. Thank you, Abigail. Thank you, Abigail. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I... Megan, I was so scared. I was so scared. And not let's let's just be clear. I was staying at a house that I used to live in. It was like a stranger's house. I was staying in my old bedroom. I was living nanny. I was staying in my old room. Yeah. And the, the child once again came to reach for a door for something and I said, "Oh, it's a demon." It's, it's a demon. demon. It's Demon's always arm. a demon. Demon's arm. And I was reaching this at night. And it wasn't even that late. It was like 8 p.m. But I had all the lights out because the kids were asleep. So I was like, well, let's make it a night, you know? Yeah. Researching at night, computers, all like bright. I was so afraid. Yeah, I can only imagine. How were you able to sleep? 
I had to, like, I closed my laptop completely. I had to go on my phone and I had to go on my phone and make a menu for Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, Dana, when you were a kid, when you were scared of, like, demons or whatever you were scared of. Aliens, monsters. All of yeah. the above. Um, did you, how did you, like, did you do anything specific when it came to, like, your sleeping position? Oh, oh, that night? You, you know what I had to do? What? could not be off the bed. You're f- <laughs> That's what I was wondering. I <laughs> normally sleep, weirdly enough, I normally sleep with my foot hooked on the side of the mattress. Like, my foot's off the bed normally with it, like, pressing. It's weird. Yeah, I see it. Um, But Mind. that night, I was like, no, 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 you can't do it. Can't <gasps> there. So, yeah. To this day, 32 years old, I still am like, well can't have my feet out they're gonna grab it yeah so, i have not learned there is still <laughs> my brain said protect yourself right my little lizard to... brain says camouflage hide you are a blanket <laughs> or go to my parents room be like hi i'm afraid yes <laughs> yeah mom or dad would sometimes work at night so mom would have the bed free like it would just be her and there was enough space oh i'd be right but there I... Bye. But I remember, like, getting hot in the middle of the night and being a little scared. So I would think to myself, well, I'll just put out one leg because then I'll still have another if they take that one. (laughs) I will sacrifice this one leg. You take this leg, leave it for me. We're very very compromising people with aliens and demons. We're like, you know, you have this one leg, one little (laughs) bit of spit. There you go. Please. I don't have time for anything. Right? But no, yeah. It was. Whew. That was a wild <sighs> ride, Dana. Thank you. I can't wait for what next week holds for us. Yes. And so until then, dear listeners, we thank you once again for being here with us as we tell each other and you two scary stories with us, your sisters. So thank you for listening. And please, 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 if you ha- if you're able to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can find us on Instagram at Scary Sisters Pod, at Twitter if it's still around at Scary <laughs> Sisters Pod. Um, you can email us at Gmail at once again Scary Sisters Pod at Gmail dot com. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for stories. Or if you yourself have a story that you want to have on the air, please let us know. We're collecting them for maybe a fun little thing in the future. So once again, stay safe, stay spooky. Megan? Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.